Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. As I said before, we'll be in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 15. Um, and we are spending quite a lot of time in 2 Samuel chapter 15. And I think it's because it's an important chapter, a turning point. Uh, because we're finally finding out the details which we have not known. Up to this point, uh, we've had the question, who is the he? Who is going to be the one that is going to raise up that evil in the house of David? Uh, Who is that person going to be? Who is the one that's going to be the one that lies with David's wives? And up to this point, we've we've found out that now we know it's, uh, it's Absalom. David's son, who is starting that um, that work, as like last week we looked at that treason, which has been committed in verse twelve, that Absalom um, uh, and the conspiracy that treason grew strong, and the people uh, with Absalom kept on increasing. Uh, we mentioned last week about Aaron Burr. That uh, he actually went to um, court, to the Supreme Court, and he was charged with treason, but he did not uh, commit treason, per se, in the, against the uh, Constitution because of the wording of Article 3 in the Constitution. Uh, however, we'll see that uh, the story of Aaron Burr ended somewhat there, but the story of Absalom does not end just with him plotting uh, to commit treason, but he does, as we'll see in the next coming chapters. Now, before we get into the, the verses we're going to look at this evening, I want to point out a couple of interesting things that I haven't been able to point out previously. Um, the first is just Absalom's name. Absalom's name is uh, quite an interesting name. We kind of just say it. That's, that's what he's called. Um, but Absalom actually means the father of peace. The father of peace, and yet uh, he is not the one who is peaceful. Uh, David's last words to him, as we saw last time, was, go in peace. Uh, But sometimes names in the Bible are quite prophetic, um, and they speak of what they're going to accomplish, and sometimes they're rather humorous. Um, A prophetic one might be that uh, you think of Abraham, the father of many, father of multitudes, and yet he has one son. Uh, we know this prophetic is he will have uh, stars that will number the um, be numerous. Uh, and here, Absalom, what does uh, Absalom mean? The father of peace, but he does exactly the opposite. The second is, up to this point in Second Samuel, following chapter 12, David has really taken a back seat. You might say that um, David is not really the main character that the author is writing about. He's not really active uh, per se. The narrative focuses on Amnon and then Absalom. Now, what we see now is a change back, that shift back to uh, David. And David actually acts. He becomes the center of the story once more. You might say that we get to see old David, in the sense that uh, old David um, is in his age. I mean, the old David is as he was when he was younger. Uh, we see him pray, we see him worship, and we see him turn back, uh, turn to God, as, as we kind of saw in chapter 12 when we looked at Psalm 51. But I want to 
the third thing I want to point out is something for you to pay attention to as we study the rest of chapter 15 over this week and next week is that it's the people of Israel who follow Absalom. It's the people of Israel who should know and follow what God has laid out in his word. It is the people of Israel who have been set aside, who've been called, set apart to be holy as God is holy. But it's the people of Israel who do not follow the king ordained by God's messenger and prophet, Samuel. They do not follow the one as we've looked at so far that is God who has established David as king. But they go and follow Absalom. Many people go and follow Absalom. But then the thing I want you to pay attention to is who are the people who are following David? Who are the people who are following God's anointed servant? I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as we study the rest of uh, 2 Samuel. So now Absalom has had his famous sheep shearing party before and now he has his famous treason party, you might call it. The trumpet has sounded And the spies throughout all the land have cried, Absalom is king in Hebron. Now while this famous treason party is happening, a messenger comes to David in Jerusalem. Now you could imagine David sitting there as the person comes in and whispers in something in David's ears or hands him a note. And David's face utterly changes. It goes from maybe joy or laughter one moment, but... He, the note is quite simple in verse 13. The messenger came to David and saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. This is all that we're told of what is maybe the uh, Nathan at this point. The author is summarizing what's happened. We know what's happened. That uh, He's been there four years before riding throughout Jerusalem with his chariot, with his men going before him, acting like a king, looking at like a king, questioning the king's judgments. And now the, the trumpet has sounded and everyone says that Absalom has been crowned king in Hebron. This note comes. The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. But this is, again, nothing new to us. We found out in verse 6, Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And this has been going on for a further four years. Four years of planning and scheming and, and political uh, newspaper pictures right at the right moment. Uh, front page articles on Absalom and how much his hair weighed and, and Absalom and, and his new chariot. This is how Nathan, I think the author, I seeks to be able to summarize what has happened before. That Absalom has committed treason acted like a king and everything else. And the heart is, is not merely just an organ which pumps blood, especially in the Bible. The heart is the center of our f- affections. And the people of God's heart have been drawn, stolen, and gone after Absalom. It's always a sad state to consider the people of Israel. When you're reading through the scripture, they don't always have the best track record. How often it is that faithfulness is just but for a generation. But yet it takes a generation to forget. A generation to slide further, to follow other nations. Think about David in chapter 5 and the worshiping the Lord and, and bringing the Ark of the Covenant back 
or bringing it into Jerusalem. But now you have one generation later and his own son. Where the people of God, where their hearts, not loving the Lord their God with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. But their hearts are now focused on Absalom, been led astray by Absalom. But David doesn't just receive this note. He, he is not passive in all of this. You almost see the immediate reaction as you're reading through. That he hears this note or hears the message and he jumps into action. Is what we see in verses 14 to 17. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out and all of his household after him. And the king left ten concubines to keep the house. And the king went out and all the people after him. And they halted at the last house. So he hears this note that all the, all the people of Israel's hearts have gone after Absalom and, and David acts. Pack your bags, we are going. Now this might seem like a bit of a defeat. Let's get out of here. Yeah. But it's not. I think defeat would be to stay. Now there's many reasons why David might be saying that we should leave. Now we're not told specifically. I'll point out a couple of verses of where I think the focus is. But maybe David is acting like a military man. In chapters ahead, we'll see uh, Hushai say that David is a great man of war. He's very wise in his military commands. And here, uh, that he, he's acting like a military man. His concern is, is militarily focused. In Psalm fifty-one eighteen, he says this, Do good to Zion in your good pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem. Now, this could mean that the walls of Jerusalem are not yet finished. Now, we don't know the timeline. There's been seven years between Amnon and now what is happening here. But we don't know exactly the timeline between Psalm 51. We know that's when uh, he was uh, Uriah, the Hittite's wife, Bathsheba, the event with that. And so we know that's when the confession was. We don't know the period of time. So is David here speaking metaphorically of just building up the walls of Zion in, in a sense of that let them be built higher? Or is there a construction project that's going on during this time? So if the walls are not finished, then they're open to attack. They're, they're a sitting duck for people to come in and attack them. But even if the walls are finished, then Jerusalem is, is a city in which a lot of cities fall danger to this that they're open to be sieged. You see this with Hezekiah. This is what happens in Hezekiah, that they're sieged. So, so he's acting like a military man, is we need to get out. We are going to be sitting ducks here. The other reason he might be seeking to be able to leave is that uh, David knows his strengths as a military man. And, he, and one of his greatest strengths, I think, is that he has spent a large amount of time wandering in the wilderness. And he's, he's done quite well surviving in the wilderness, been chased by Saul and the army of Israel, trying to be able to pursue him, find him, and capture him. And yet, David has done quite well in those situations. 
Maybe this is a weakness of Absalom, that he's going to his strength and a weakness of Absalom. You think about what happens in, in the end. Hopefully we all know what happens in the end. Um, but uh, it's at the forest of Ephraim. It's in a, and it's an outside source that Absalom actually passes away. He dies. Again, so maybe it's a wise move for people over to leave. But also think of this comment that David says, that he says there will be no escape for us from Absalom. But again, I think this shows that, that he, he's, he, sits, he thinks of himself in Jerusalem as a sitting duck, and he doesn't want to be able to do that. The second reason that I think he might uh, be seeking to leave is that he's a family man. He's a shepherd. Do you notice that it says that he leaves and all of his household. And later in the passage, we see that there's not only uh, he, him that is there, but also children. Ittite the Gittite. Ittite the Gittite. He, he's there with his, his brothers and his children. And he, he is concerned about those who are placed under his care. He does not want them, included, uh, in, including his family, in this family feud. His concern is not about the position of king, his responsibilities, but the responsibilities of what a king should do. That a good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, and here now he's thinking as a family man to be able to protect those sheep who he has been given. Now, that's quite different from Absalom, as we saw last week. Absalom was willing to be able to use people left, right, and center just to be able to get his means. Whereas David is thinking quite the opposite. The last type of reason why I think he might be doing this is that he's a listening man. What I mean by that is that he's been told for a very long time, and this has probably gone through his head many a time. Seven years he's had to think about it, at least it's Amnon, and even more after um, chapter 12, I believe, where Nathan told the king, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And you shall lie with your wives and in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. That here, he, he probably has been wondering, who is this person? Who is, where is this evil going to come from, from within my house? And maybe he's seen the warning signs before, But now it is clear. He knew this day was coming. Now he has the information he needs. Now, interestingly, as he leaves, he leaves ten concubines back to look after the house. Now this decision, out of all these decisions, I think he acts very wisely. As a military man, as a father, as a listening man. But this, this decision is one that will be very costly. In all of this, I don't think this is retreat from David in a sense of being passive. We see David acting as a king, protecting, shepherding, and quite possibly listening to the word of God. And as they begin to leave Jerusalem, we see David and and more of his character. But we're also, in this chapter, introduced to many key people that are very important to the rest of the story as we see what happens. You see, decisions made here at this point, in this moment, at this chapter, that have a big impact on the rest of the story. Now, 
I guess you know the word that I'm going to use to describe this. This is not luck. This is not chance. This is providence. Now, before we get to the action, we need to understand a bit of Absalom's intent. Here, David uses some very important words to describe what Absalom is going to do. I think this shows David's understanding of what is about to happen. In chapter, in verse 14, it says that David said to his servants who were in, with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, for there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of his sword. There is no mincing words here. David does not uh, think the best of Absalom in this situation. Oh, he's just misunderstood. Surely the hearts of Israel have not gone after Absalom. Maybe again he's seen the warning signs, but here he says that there will be no escape for us from Absalom. You only escape of something you wish to flee from, to run from, that will cause you great danger. He's running because he knows that there is great danger coming from his son. And even the terms that he used, let us, uh, lest he overtake us quickly. Now, often this is used throughout all the scripture to mean not just by, you know, just having a race and who's going to get there first. Often it means that they overtake them to be able to come back and attack them. It's a military term in the sense that, that if you can overtake them, if you can meet up with them, then the battle will be had. And if you can get them while they're running and plan where you're going to meet them, there's a great military tactic in that. Better to, for them to be in a valley and you to be up on a hill. Then, then there, there's only several ways of escape and you can plan and, and use things. And David is not mincing words here again. But even here, and bring ruin, down ruin on us. This word ruin is, is, is evil, wicked. It's what's used in Second Samuel chapter 12. Behold, I will rise up evil against you in your own house. It's the same word. He's speaking of that ruin, that evil there. Chapter 3, verse 39. I was gentle today. Though anointed king, these men and sons of Zerur more severe than I. The Lord repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. Again, those, that same sense of word, the same word in Hebrew is that wickedness. Or in chapter 13, verse 16. No, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than any that you did to me. That wrong there. Think about that evil wickedness of what Ammon did to Tamar. And here, this is what the word used that David used, that he would bring ruin, evil wickedness upon us. But it doesn't stop there that he will strike us with the edge of the sword. This is to be struck in battle. Now you think about what this means, that David actually understands what's happening right at this moment. When he gets this message that the hearts of Israel have gone after Absalom, 
He knows exactly what is coming. Absalom, his own flesh and blood, his own son, the one whom he welcomed back into his house and kissed him, showed great grace and forgiveness to him, is coming to attack, to strike with the sword. Not just David and the crown on his head, but the whole family, his family and friends, those in which he would have grown up and sat around. This is truly evil, what Absalom plans and intends to do. Before this, you might have said that David might have been partially blind. I think that it's not crediting David enough. But, but you, you might say that he, he just didn't understand. But here David knows exactly what is coming. He knows what his son is capable of. So they all leave Jerusalem. The king leads the people. And then what he does is he stops at the very last house. And they all stop, and, and, and as he leads them there, he stops and they all proceed out. This is a common thing, I think, before going into battle, is that the king would stop and inspect the troops. There's quite a few famous pictures that come to mind of kings and generals inspecting the troops as they walk along. And, and as they stop, they continue to walk in what we see in verse 18. And all his servants passed by him, and all the Cherethites, and all the Peleothites, and all the 600 Gittites who had followed him from Gath passed on before the king. Now again, who, who are those that are loyal to the king in this moment? There are, there are people that weren't born into the covenant community. There are people who, who come from different nations, and they're the ones who are, who are loyal to the king. We're the people of Israel, the people who have a great rich his, history and heritage of what God has done, who have the, the scriptures and all that is within them. Where are they? They're following Absalom. But now you have the Cherethites and the Pelethites and the Gittites. Now, where do these first two groups? We've we've met them previously before. The first is that we've met um, in chapter thirty, David when he's in Philistine and in Philistia, and he's uh, we're uh, in. I can't remember the name of the town, Zadok or something. And and he's sitting there, and and he goes out, and and the the king comes and says, where have you been today? And he he comes and he he explains that he's made a raid against the Negev of the Cherethites, against that which belongs to Judah, and against the Negev of Caleb, and burns Ziglag with fire. So here you have uh, the Cherethites. um, And we've also met them before that... uh, when in chapter 8, when he goes through those positions of authority and, and those titles in, in David's administration, you have uh, Benaiah, uh, the son of Jehoiada, who was over the Cherethites and the Palathites. So here you have a group of people who are loyal to David. Um, we don't know much more about them, uh, besides that they're from the Negev, which means wilderness. But the third group is that of the Gittites, who followed him from Gath. So again, an interesting story. Where, 
where, where Gath is. Um, Gath is where Goliath is from. Gath has got an interesting story with David. It's where he goes and acts crazy and he, he leads, leads them away. Um, but here you have people who are loyal to him. 600 men from, uh, from Gath. So now you have these three groups, the Cherethites, the Pelethites, the Gittites. Now I think you can, there can be reasons why these three groups are highlighted. I think the first is the Cherethites. We know that they are from the Negev, which means the wilderness. So it's most likely from the other groups as well that they're from Negev's wilderness environments. So, and they're leaving, and where are they leading? Leading to, they're going to the wilderness. So maybe this is why they're mentioned. Secondly is um, loyalty. Loyalty is not necessarily to do with where you're born. Sometimes it can be. But I think loyalty is best shown if you make a deliberate choice about where you want to give that loyalty to. That these groups over these years, you know, we, we seem to have these relationships right from before David was king in Hebron, where, you know, timelines are difficult at this point, but we're close to the end, you know, three quarters through David's reign. So they've been long, with him for a long time, um, and they've been loyal to him for a long time. And in, in, in the middle of a time where you, you, you think about treason, who do you trust? <laughs> who, do you, who do you say, yes, fight beside me? Uh, and maybe it's the people who have fought beside you and been loyal, not because of birth, but because of choice. The third is, I think, important to know that while the covenant community and those who are um, born in and the people of God are following Absalom, these that are born are outside of the covenant community are following the true king, King David. And I think that this shows us that through this time that that there's always a distinction to be made between what is visible, the visible covenant community, and the invisible covenant community. That you can always say that here's what we see. We see the body of believers. But it then doesn't mean that all of them are believers. Absalom's a great example of this. We looked at this last week. Absalom, what does he do? He has the words of the Lord Yahweh on his lips. Let me go to Hebron, that I might be able to make a, a sacrifice to Yahweh, to fulfill a vow I gave and made to him. That in the church, there is always this mixture of, of truth and error. There is always this mixture of, of the, the, what we see visibly and what is unseen, of this believers and unbelievers. And also, it's interesting that Sometimes it's not exactly what we might picture. Think about the days in Jesus' day, especially as we've read through the Gospel of Mark. It's the religious leaders who know the Bible in and out. They know the law of God. But it's those who are often distant from the kingdom. But it's those who are blind beggars, the woman of uh, Sychar and things like that, far off. And they're actually the ones that are closer to Christ and following Christ as a disciple. And another thought I had the, day, the other day was the, 
the church often focuses through evangelicalism has focused on evangelizing. And this is a good. It's good to evangelize. But I think often what, what, what has been done is that the focus is the church needs to grow through evangelism. And that's true. That's what we're told. We're going to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them and commanding them all I've told you to do. But I think in, in what we've done, when we're focused just on evangelism, we've forgot the other important part. And that's of catechizing. Catechizing children. Telling the children of what God has done in the past. Somewhat evangelizing the children that we already have. And teaching them that when you focus on evangelism and you forget catechizing, you miss how you make disciples. It's not one or the other, but it's both and. I think the church needs to understand this as we see that both are essential. Now, in all of this, I don't mean to say that you do one and automatically you have an effect. See, believers have unbelieving children. David has uh, Absalom. But you also see unbelievers have believing children. Or, or maybe not a great example, but Saul. Again, we don't know where Saul lies. A sinner is always saved by grace. He was definitely a sinner. Was he saved by grace? I'm not sure. But you, you then have Jonathan, I think, who clearly is a true believer. So it's always never a good thing just to say, you, you do this and this is going to be the outcome. But in this chapter 15, we see a particular interaction with one man. And I think this highlights that the point I'm trying to make is, we're the people of Israel following Absalom. And now you have this, this man. And I do believe, you can argue with me, I think he has the best name in the Bible. Ittai the Gittite. I'll say that ten times fast. It's a fun thing to say. Ittai the Gittite. But uh, we meet Ittai the Gittite in verses 19 to 23. This is where we'll end this evening. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, Why do you also go with us? Go back and stay with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your home. You came only yesterday, and I shall, t- I shall today make you wander with us. Since I go, I know not where. Go back and take your brothers with you. And may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. But Ittai answered the king, As the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, wherever my lord the king shall be, whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. And David said to Ittai, Go then, pass on. So Ittai the Gittite passed on with all of his men and all the little ones who were with him. And all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by, and the king crossed the brook Kidron, and all the people passed on towards the wilderness. As these men start marching before, you have the Cherethites, the Pelethites, the the Gittites with the 600 men, and, and here comes this man, Ittai the Gittite. And he passes before David, 
And David stops him and says, no, stop, hang on. Why, why are you going with us? Go back and stay with the king. Now, it's interesting. Here, he, he, what did, he says, go back and stay with the king. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Absalom. You're, you're a foreigner. You're in exile from home. You just came yesterday. If you had come two days later to take refuge in this city, you'd be under the refuge of Absalom. Why let that 24-hour period change the outcome? You don't have to come with me. You have no reason to fight in my battles. Again, he understands the situation he is putting all these people in. He's not just running away to, to avoid his problems. Because you just came yesterday, why should I make you wander in the desert? I don't even know where we're going. Go back. May the Lord, Yahweh, show His steadfast love and faithfulness to you. Now what have, what have all the people of Israel done? They're willing to follow Absalom the king. Their hearts are already with him. But Ittai, a person who, who does not know the covenant community, he came one day before, says this beautiful statement in verse 21. As the Lord lives, as Yahweh lives, as my Lord the King lives, wherever my Lord the King shall be, whether for life or for death, there also will your servant be. Absalom, the pardoned son of the king, is coming to attack the people of God, coming to attack his own father with a sword. So much so that that David says, let's get out of here. There's ruin, destruction is coming to this city. Absalom, who had just said in verse 8, For your servant, Absalom, vowed a vow while lived in Geshur and Aram, saying, if the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will offer worship to the Lord. Here he's using Yahweh's name and he, he, he's using it in vain. You have Absalom here. But then you have Ittai the Gittite, who had only come one day before. And yet he does not take the Lord's name in vain. And he shows loyalty to the true king. Reminds you of the glorious part in Ruth and Naomi. When Naomi turns to Ruth and and Orpah has left and Naomi says, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. And Ittai here says the exact same thing. He shows his loyalty not just to the king, but also to the Lord. It actually... 
will be Ittai that actually gets a predominant role. In chapter 18, David sends out the army under one-third under Joab. That's understandable, right? The commander of the army. One-third under the command of Abishai, the son of Zariah, who's Joab's brother. That makes sense. He's been with David and, and Joab for a long time. Three brothers that used to fight arm in arms. One of their brothers passed away. They, they've been very loyal. But another third is given to the Ittai the Gittite. Now, David calls Absalom, go back and stay with the king, he says in verse, 15, verse 19. Well, what does Absalom call David? Absalom doesn't call Absalom, uh, Ittai the Gittite doesn't call Absalom king, he calls David king in verse 21. As the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, and my Lord the king shall be. Now, Dale Ralph Davis has a great quote, which quotes other quotes as well. But Ittai is an island of fidelity in a sea of treachery. An island of fidelity in a sea of treachery. The irony is clear. David's own son, whom he had loaded with undeserved kindness, was conspiring against him. While this stranger who owed him nothing in comparison was risking everything in his cause. And one wonders if a writer intends to contrast Ittai, the faithful Philistine, with Ahithophel, the treacherous Israelite. David's trusted and treasured counselor dropped him and threw his weight behind Absalom. But here is Ittai, the foreigner, who sticks closer to a brother and who, with his men and all of their children, tramps off after David to share his deliverance or his doom. Sometimes the friend that goes on your journey is the friend or companion you least expect. Jonathan, the son of your enemy, or a stranger named Ittai the Gittite. And as they leave... David tells Ittai to go on and pass on. So he does, he passes on before him, and all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by, and the king crossed the brook Kidron, and all the people passed towards the wilderness. As Absalom is there rejoicing and, and marrying in his treason, and David and those that are with him are weeping. You're headed towards the wilderness. The wilderness is an important place for an Israelite takes a step going back. It's an important place for the people of God. It's often in the wilderness that people of God rely on God or perish. It's in the wilderness where God provides for them in the desert. David, one running from Saul, but now he is king. And yet he, as king, he still has a period in the wilderness. shows that God's people have seasons in their life. Just because you've gone through a wilderness before doesn't mean there's a wilderness later in your life. And why is he going towards the wilderness? Particularly because of one man's sin. Absalom, his selfish heart. However, it's David 
And along with all these other people that are going to the wilderness, Absalom's going to go live in a palace in David's house made of cedar while David intends. I think it's a uh, have more, but I think it's uh, important for us to be able to see that here David is going to be dwelling in a tent. That wickedness is coming upon David's house. But as we look, we'll look at Psalm three in a couple of weeks. It's written by David during this time. It ends this way. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. For the believer, the waves of the world will shift and move, but they will find their salvation in God is steadfast and strong, no matter the circumstance. That God is with them. And salvation belongs not to man, but to God. Or as Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. All of these things David would face. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.